Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. So now here we are with episode 15, which is the second part of my conversation with Josh Goldsmith, who I caught up with from across the pond in the States via a Skype call to chat all things Albion. In this second part, we will be talking about a number of things. The Wolves match coming up this weekend, VAR, Jason Malumbi, and other matters besides. So hope you enjoy this. Here we go. The game coming up, of course, at the weekend, Wolves. Obviously, we go into it pretty downbeat. Um, there haven't been really many bad games against Wolves overall. We've got we've generally got quite good results against them, haven't we? So, um, including this season, the draw at home, which I thought was a pretty good point, to be honest. They were the better side. Um, what do you think? Um, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to line up? Um, well, that's impossible to guess what the squad. I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say if I get that right, I'll give you the lottery numbers tomorrow as well. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think we're going to do set up with a three-five-two, something like that, three at the back, uh, to try and negate the um, well, the width and the danger from all over they've got really. Um, it's going to be tough, isn't it? Yeah, I do, and I think you're right. I think that we're probably going to roll out with like a three-four-three or a three-five-two or a five-two-three or something like that very similar to the Sheffield United game. Um, I think he's going to look to go, kind of fight fire with fire um, and kind of outplay them or out-defend them. Um, yeah. I do I do think that he'll probably do a little bit more work on hitting them on the counter-attack successfully because we know we're capable of it and we saw it against Spurs and a couple of other teams um, and we really weren't able to get that work in, uh, against Sheffield United. Um, so I think that that's going to be his, I think that, I think maybe his message will possibly be do, do exactly what you did defensively against Sheffield United um, and work on this, this and this going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the bigger worry is, I mean, I've got a great deal of respect for Sheffield United. I think they've done brilliantly well. And they, what they are is a very good team in terms of the organisation, the structure, the discipline. Uh, the motivational elements, and obviously they make the best of what they've got, uh, their credentials. Um, I think with Wolves, they've, I think everything I've just said there, you could say about Wolves as well. The difference of Wolves is, despite not much difference in 
positions in the table is that they are, I think, a classier team. They've got more individual flair. You do have to worry about the likes of Triori, Jimenez, uh, Diotta. Um, they've just got danger from all over the place, haven't they, really? Even with Doherty and people like that getting forward. Um, so we're going to have to be very disciplined, very, very rigid. And dare I say it, if we do get any chances, take them. <laughs> that would be nice. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't it just? <laughs> and you're right. They are. You're right. I mean, I feel like Sheffield United are a slightly more attractive Burnley in that they are yeah. Yeah. like they, they do everything right and they do everything as a team, except they they play slightly less shithouse. Um, <laughs> but Wolves, as you said, they, they are kind of littered with quality. I mean, I think they're still in Europe, right? They're still yeah. they're still yeah. going. And like Adama Traore is is turning into a very, very good player. He was a player I think I um had said right at the beginning of my very first podcast that I wish we would have signed up because I liked him. And oh. then but but what but what Nuno has done with him since is just outrageous, isn't it? He's he's grown so much from when he was at Middlesbrough. Um and yeah. Jimenez, Jimenez just loves to score against us. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's definitely by far and away a better player than he was. I'm speaking to a few Arsenal fans at one point. A couple of them were not, when they're talking about new managers, when Arteta eventually got appointed. Before doing so, he, I was saying, well, what about him? And they, they didn't fancy him. They didn't think the style of play would suit them. But I don't know. I didn't get that at all. And I think um, I think he's gone from strength to strength, Nuno. Um, likewise, Triori as, as a player, um, he was just a, a box of fireworks, wasn't he, at, at Middlesbrough, but completely unkempt. It was a bit all over the place. He, yep. Anything could happen, and often nothing significant did. But now he's he's added all sorts to his game. He's using the ball better. He's known when to release, when to when to make the dribble, when to hold it up more, I've noticed. And his shooting's a bit better. I think his crossing's definitely better. Um, we did keep him pretty quiet at the Amex, I have to say. Um, I think on both occasions, but particularly this season, as a better player, we've still managed to keep him quiet, which was obviously commendable and helped us to the draw. But the fact of the matter is we can't just rely on that <laughs> for guaranteeing the same again. We're going to have to work very hard. Because if anything, he's probably got even better since we played him last time. So he's a worry. Jimenez scored against us, and he's potent threat, isn't he? It's uh, it's a bit of a worry all round. And um, one thing I was going to say, Josh, was in terms of games this season when we've won, I think I think it's six games we've won this season, with the exception of the Bournemouth win between Christmas and New Year, we've only won uh, matches when we've had a variation of two people up top in one format or another. Um, possibly playing someone wider, but we've always had two of what we would describe as our strikers up front. Um, gotcha. The Watford game, I think we had Andoni and Lucardi were part of the equation, and obviously subs came on. Uh, Morpé and Murray, I think, came on. Um, I think it was like the other way. I think we had. I think we started with Murray and Lucardi, and then oh, we had it. Andoni and Mopai come on because they just ripped Watford apart, didn't they? Yes. And they, they got one scored. each. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so we had two strikers on in that game. We've had two strikers on in the other matches. I looked through the stats. Norwich, um, Spurs, um, of course, Connolly made his, day, his, um, his yep. first main impression. In fact, his only main impression so far. Um, and the only time, as I said, we didn't play with two out-and-out strikers in one form or other was Bournemouth. So maybe the 3-5-2 or 5-3-2 format might work better for us to keep our hopes up. Um, we've just about got two strikers, haven't we, we can play? So, uh, that right. might work out. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. Incidentally, um, not quiz question, but did you know the head-to-heads between our two sides, Wolves and Brighton? 
Uh, I do not entirely. I do know that they um, they are a lot worse off than us. Uh, I, I have a couple of good real stats on it um, that that we are both on an, an, a winless streak of nine right now in our own ways. I'm sure you've probably seen that as well, that yeah. we have not won in nine and Wolves have never beaten us in their nine previous meetings in a top flight match against us. So right. yeah. somebody's, somebody's, oh, has got to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we haven't actually played each other that many times historically. Look at my stats I've got here. Um, we've won 15. They've won six. Um, this is in all divisions, obviously, and uh, 12 draws. Um, so all of that, most of those draws have been coming in the more recent era, by the sounds of it, um, which is interesting stats. And uh, we did start off with a couple of defeats in cups, but our league record, looking through it, um, which started in the top division, um, we actually won um, almost all the time against them when we first played them in the top division. 3-1 um, away and 3-0 at home in 79-80. Um, 2-0 both games in the next season, 1-0 away and 2-0 at home the year after, 1-0 away and 5-1 at home the year after that. Um, that was all in the top flight. Um, bearing in mind we were getting, actually, sorry, it's not the, the last one, wasn't that was uh, That was in League, uh, in Division 2, the 1-0 the and 5-1. Um, and then we've had a mix of results, but quite a few draws along the way. Um, but yeah, you're right, all of the recent games seem to be draws or really close affairs. So maybe that gives us some sort of encouragement that we're some kind of a bogey team for them. Um, yeah, we actually are their ultimate bogey team. Uh, hmm. They we they have the worst win percentage against us uh, than any side they've ever faced more than twice in Football League history. Wow. <laughs> they, have a, they have a 13% win ratio over us. <laughs> that, that is madness, isn't it? <laughs> so that is, that is as close to bogey team as it definitely gets. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, if we can keep that going, I'll take that all day long, definitely. Um, Agreed. <laughs> um, just so finally then, just a couple of other bits I wanted to chat to you about. A few bits in the news um, and um, a few other things of contention. First of all, there's been some um, – well, actually, I'll, I'll talk about Potter first. There's been um, a poll on North Stand Chat, I think it was about a week ago now, or a few, or a few days ago, um, which I think had 60% in favour of staying, 20% not sure – 20% against, um, uh, in other words, wanting to get rid. Um, what's your view on it? Do you agree with the majority there? Yes. Uh, I actually, I think I actually voted in that one as a very hard stay. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, I think that whatever they're trying to do, whatever, you know, I know that we're all frustrated, but when you look at the chances we create and we're all watching the same game and, you know, Every stat, whether you believe in the stats or you prefer to just watch it and make your own opinions, is that we're we're pretty much as unlucky as it gets this year. Um, we are the most unlucky team in terms of how many points we should have uh, compared to the points we actually have in terms of taking our chances and getting results in the entire league. Uh, we are there is nobody more unlucky than us, and I think that sooner or later something has got to give. Um, and even if it even if it gives in the championship, um, you know, we all know how well we're laid out for the future in the background. Um, Malombi had a fantastic game today. I watched that game, uh, the Millwall Forest game, and he was yeah. he was excellent all the way through. And I think yeah. he was very hard done by not to be given that goal. By the way, <laughs> yeah, I, I saw it as well. Yeah, essentially for anyone that didn't see, he had the um, the, the chance to score the second goal for them 
uh, got it on target. Goldie may or may not have got to it, but it took a slight deflection off his teammate's leg, went through his legs, didn't it? Touching it on the way. Yep. Changed direction a bit, went in. Uh, the striker claimed the goal and subsequently a hat-trick with a goal he scored later. So um, that made it awkward, actually, I think, the fact he, uh, he got the hat-trick because he, he wasn't going to... Wasn't going to let that other one go then, was he? <laughs> yeah, but, I think that's exactly it. He was going to yeah. hang on to it at that point. Yeah, but he I've, I've seen him play a few times, Malumbi, and um, I'm going to do another loan watch feature on one of my later pods but, um, after doing one a few weeks ago. i um, been promising a second one for a while. haven't had time, but um, he's one of the ones to watch, definitely. We've all talked about White, of course. Um, but I think Malumbi's having a great season, and if he can keep developing, that would be great. Um, in terms of Potter, I agree with you. I'm firmly in the stay camp. I think even if we went down, we should continue to grow together and see what can happen with some more longevity. Um, it's going to need time to grow. He's going to need time to improve as a manager. Hopefully, he can continue to do that in the Premier League with us. But hopefully, um, it's, it's not it's not everything. But even if we do go down, I would I would like to see him stay. Um, partly based on what you just said about luck, I think coupled with the fact that he's having to change a lot and he's maybe been a little bit hung out to dry on the recruitment front, on the striker front in particular. Um, there's a number of considerations there which would have me absolutely not being in that 20% that want him out, that's for sure. Um, what do you think our relegation prospects are? Do you, do you think we... I mean, there seems to be a sea change in people's opinion now. Um, those that weren't already on a downer about it and um, certainly seem to be after the Palace game even the more positive fans amongst us seem to be thinking it's looking unlikely or at least it's looking very likely that we might go down anyway um, do you think we are actually going to go? Yeah I so I am I I really thought we needed to beat Palace to stay up mm. and I went on to for my own sins similarly to you the way you listen to the Palace podcast I went on to one of those Premier League table predictors um, oh, and, filled, and filled it out. Even <laughs> yeah. while I was all in my fields, I filled it out uh, the last 10 games and it st- I still had a staying up. Um, mm. So I think that, and that was me at my like most low. And mm. I was shocked when I pressed calculate to see that we stayed up. Um, and I think that just goes to show that you don't realise just how tough some of these other teams' run-ins are as well. Mm. Um, West Ham and Bournemouth are like their runnings are not quite as brutal as ours, but they're not far off. Um, yeah. Like West Ham's is really, so really rough. rough. They have, uh, let me list them off. So West Ham have, uh, this is their entire rest of their season. They have Arsenal, Wolves, Tottenham, Chelsea, Newcastle, Burnley, Norwich, Watford, Manchester United, and Villa. So they have four six pointers and four teams against four and yeah. six games against you know the the top top of the lot. Yeah. And the proverbial um, easier games are, are backloaded, aren't they? They're coming later when things could be at their worst. Yeah, and, and then for Bournemouth, for Bournemouth as well. I mean, they're no better off. They've got Liverpool next. Um, then they've got Palace, Wolves, Newcastle, Manchester United, Tottenham, Leicester, Manchester City, Southampton, and Everton. So again, like they have a couple of six pointers in there, um, but all the rest of them are against you know top eight sides that would be looking at getting results against them. And the problem with Bournemouth is is they're not scoring enough goals compared to their usual season. Um, and that was what actually I had ended up happening in my predictor. I have Bournemouth and West Ham both go down. 
See, that's what I think might happen now. I think it might be Bournemouth and West Ham. I'm still inclined to think we'll just stay up. But I have to say I've taken a much more concerned stance, obviously. But I, I think the same, actually. I haven't done a predictor thing. But, um, but yeah, I would be inclined to think West Ham and Bournemouth. Because I think there's a certain psychology that I can see at play there with those two clubs where they're, they're not where they're expecting to be. Um, I know Watford aren't either, but... Um, I don't know, there's something, something a little bit more unsettled about the way that those clubs have reacted to things. Um, West Ham's obviously in disarray off the pitch. Bournemouth, I think, they're just not equipped for it particularly. They're equipped for it staying positive, getting positive results and continuing the run. As soon as it's gone badly enough, um, it's, it looks like he's under pressure uh, how yeah. more than I thought he would be and as you said a tough run in Brighton admittedly we've got a similar run in in terms of it's back loaded in terms of the easier games so we've got a load of tough games um, in the uh, in the foreground but it does feel I know this sounds a bit like a hopeful fan but it does feel as if we're overdue a couple of results and if we are overdue those results and we get them against the better side say if we pull off a win against Wolves for example uh, tomorrow or if we uh, get a result at Leicester. I know that's later on now because of the postponement. But those kind of games, or even even do a Watford and beat one of the big boys at home, um, it feels like one of those results might pop up soon. And we've already we have still at the end of the day we've got that advantage. We are a point better off than the three sides below um, with a better goal difference. Also a better goal difference than Villa. Even if should they win their game in hands, they'd be gold behind us on goal difference. Um, so it's we've still got a slight edge. Um, and I do think, as you said, those run-ins for Bournemouth and West Ham are no better than ours. So I'm still inclined to think we'll make it. But it's going to be very, very close now. <laughs> it's certainly not going to be comfortable. I don't think we'll be um, smoking cigars as we move into May, will we now? Uh, no, so, which is just the Brighton way, isn't it? We never, um, we never, we never do it the easy way. And I think that, you know, I think that I'm kind of glad that we've we've got those games at the end of the season because it can be it can be a case of teams like Newcastle and Burnley have absolutely nothing left to play for and yeah. you know we I really do think that we're going to get a resort at home to Newcastle um and I, I I think more than anything those home games against Arsenal and Manchester United are going to be the ones that if we're going to pull out a resort against the top 6 kind of classic top 6 sides it's yeah. those two um I could you know I could easily see us doing the double on Arsenal this year just because yeah. it feels like we are a bit of a bogey team to them all the time. Yeah, I mean, we certainly. Be- I don't think we were originally, but I think we've become one certainly because we keep beating, beating them all, drawing with them at home. We've now had a draw and a win for the last two away games. Um, this would be as good a chance as any, despite our position, uh, to do the double. And um, I've got a feeling we might do it. You know, um, I should be. Uh, proffering the notion to my Arsenal mates, who I'm hoping to get on the, my podcast on Monday as a review <laughs> slash preview episode, um, because obviously we're playing them the following week. Um, it would be great. I mean, the timing would be perfect because it's the first of those games um, after after this Wolves match, and I feel like it's a game we could get something from. I hope so. You mentioned Newcastle. Do you think there's any chance they could go down? I mean, it's certainly possible, but um, do you think they won't because of the toughness of the runs of those other teams we've mentioned? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they will. I think they've got enough bodies in between them than everybody else. But when you look at the, again, if you look at the stats and the XG and the X points and all that sort of stuff, uh, they are so lucky. If if you went off of like the statistical basis and all that sort of stuff, they should be bottom. They are actually, the uh, they are 12 points better off than they should be. 
Um, and I mean, their goals, I mean, they've only scored 20, 24 goals all season. Yeah, um, that's less one, than anybody else in the league. It's one less than Palace, who famously have a, quite a low score rate as well. Um, yeah, and Norwich as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've got a few goalkeeper stats, actually, because what, what I was saying to a few people was that, um, you know, Newcastle seem to be built, built around just solid organisation, good on set pieces, and they've obviously got Maximans coming into the equation now. But Dubravka doing really well. But actually, he does make a lot of good saves, but his stats aren't that brilliant. So I, I was surprised. Um, goals conceded outside the box. Um, it was on match of the day two, this actually. Um, Pickford and Pope, the two England goalies, um, on seven. Then you've got Kepper and Dubravka on six, and Ramsdale actually on five. So he's kind of high on those stats. Errors leading to goal. Um, De Gea, unsurprisingly, Dubravka again. Uh, Bert Leno and Jordan Pickford are top with seven apiece. So he's kind of making mistakes still, even though he's making some good saves. So even one of the things I thought was a strength, um, Dubravka's. Um, Saving, um, it's not all great. However, yeah, he's got the most saves. That's that's the telling difference. Maybe he maybe he's kept them in a few games. 114 saves apparently. Ramsdale, unsurprisingly, is second with 99. Then Bert Leno on 98. Cruel on 94. Old Brighton boy, and Matt Ryan on 91. That's according to Sky uh, News this week. But um, yeah, I do. I think Newcastle might be okay. Um, one team we haven't, well, two teams we haven't mentioned were Norwich and Villa. I mean, Norwich, first of all, do you think they could possibly do anything? I mean, if they catch us, then we're probably in trouble, but they could catch others. They're not that far off now. Um, it's going to be tough, though, isn't it, for them still? I'm yeah, sorry. they've got a, I mean, they've got such a long way to go, haven't they? If they are to pull off the yeah. miracle of all miracles, they're going to need to get some serious results quickly and I think they've got what two or three more I mean I think they've got a fair few six pointers left so I mean yeah. if, say if they were to win them all um that's, I think they have Southampton coming up in a couple of weeks um and then us of course and then the yeah. Watford and then West Ham back to back so yeah. they play us Watford and West Ham all yeah. at the end of April if they can win all three of them you know they're they're well out they're well in it yeah they're, but yeah, I, can I, I you see them? Go. Can you see them getting th- those three wins? No, no I can't. No. <laughs> I mean, fair play to them against Leicester, but I mean, even then, they just had the blow of everyone else uh, got a result apart from Villa, who didn't play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless you look up as far as where we are, but I mean, I think we're seven ahead of them still. So, you know, if if, if they if they catch us, um, yeah, fair play to them. <laughs> but um, what about Villa? We haven't mentioned Villa. What I haven't also mentioned is strikers. You're a big fan of Samata who I quite like, and I was a massive fan of Jared Bowen. Um, both players have gone to our rivals in Clarets and Blues uh, in the relegation scrap. Um, are they going to be a telling difference, potentially? I mean, I'm worried that Bowen scored in his debut for West Ham, although I still, as, as you said, think they'll struggle. But Samata, could he, could he be a telling difference for Villa? Yeah, I mean, he scored, what, two in four now? Um, he scored once in the Premier League in three appearances, and I think one of them was that early sub game. So I think he's like two and a half appearances and a goal, and then he scored this weekend in the in the in the Carling Cup game or Carabao Cup rather for whatever yeah. it was worth. Um, but I mean, he he looks he looks like he's ready and fit and ready to go. And I mean, he's been playing for Genk the whole time, um, mm. and I think they've made some really good signings. Pepe Reina, although he isn't what he used to be, is an incredibly good signing really um and it's it's just defensively that they're poor 
Um, you know, Matt Target has a lot to offer going forward, but defensively he's very suspect. Uh, that Bjorn Engels is dodgy beyond belief. Like, yeah. I, he's good at set pieces going forward, but he's he's terrifying um, yeah. for a player at, at the back. I mean, it was him that was at fault, wasn't he, against Spurs a couple of times uh, after scoring. And and even, with his, uh, even with his anti-dunk glasses on him, I don't think Gareth Southgate could fail to see that Mings is also prone to a mistake. I think he was at fault for something in the league. I didn't see the League Cup game, but I think it was a League Cup game where he apparently was at fault for one of the goals. Um, I don't know if that's the right game I'm talking about, but you know they, they've got yeah they have got a, an under, a soft underbelly which I think might cost them. Um, if West Ham survive, or if anybody out of West Ham, Bournemouth, and Norwich survive, I think it will be West Ham. And if they do, I think Villa drop. That will be for me. But. We'll see. I think it'll be very interesting on 17th of May when uh, the very last game of the season is actually West Ham versus Villa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we uh, if we're lucky enough to be sitting there and um, <laughs> sitting back and sipping a cup of tea and watching those two duke it out to go yeah. down and we're safe by then, I'll be very happy indeed. I mean, the maths could work that way, couldn't it? Actually, if we're exactly clear or something yeah. and. That's that's ideal. Um, but anyway, uh, that's that's all to come. Exciting, of course, in a bad way. Um, <laughs> moving on to a couple of other subjects. Um, you mentioned Malumbi earlier. He got a deal till 2023, hasn't he? Uh, signed a new deal with us um, this week. Um, we've also had quite a bit of fuss about Dan Ashworth on North Stand Chat and other places. Um, people complaining, starting to estimate what might be going on behind the scenes, debates about who does what. It all seems still a little bit unclear. I mean, the, the general remit is I think Ashworth's in charge of the overall football operation, but doesn't have interference in the first team. There has been accusations by some suggesting that maybe he does or that, you know, or the recruitment is being interfered with and there's no joined up thinking. Um, I don't know if you've read any of that and what your views are on it. Um, I guess getting him on one of the podcasts would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> then can I tried. Ask yeah. <laughs> Easier said than done, I think. But I, yeah, I would say sure. if, if anyone from the Albion happens to be listening, I'm sure they're not. But if they are, um, please do. Um, they'd be welcome to come on either or both of our podcasts, I'm sure, and um, explain what the situation is. Because I think people are starting to worry about the recruitment. The, the lack of resolution on the striker problem is, is the main thing, isn't it? I mean, we've had... Yeah. We've had this for years. We've part resolved it by getting more pay in and a couple of other times other people. Um, but we haven't ever substantially resolved it by getting additional numbers in so that when we've eventually sold someone, um, we've had we've had cover or when someone's been injured. And um, I think that is still an issue. Um, some of the signings obviously haven't been good. I do think people are a bit harsh about how the recruitment's gone, because if you look at it, I think number of players are either you can see why they were signed even if it hasn't worked out yet or they are good um i think webster's still a work in progress duffy was good i think montoya's served a purpose not brilliant but he's, he's good um more pay again you can see there's a good player in there and he's going to get better as time goes on bringing murray back there's other other people you can mention obviously the aforementioned davy proper from the quiz section he's come from strength to strength i think this season under under Potter, I think he's been one of the best players this season. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I would go as far as to say he's probably one of the most underrated players in the entire league. I feel like it's yeah. it's crazy how many people don't realise just how, how good he can be um, until they watch him play. Yeah, hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. So we'll we'll see what happens, but it's a bit of a worry, isn't it? Um, I guess. Um, one other point on um, the Palace game, actually, I've just remembered something I meant to mention earlier. El Gargo, <laughs> the Greyhounds, Mr. Yes. Scalotto. Um, obviously, he got involved in that um, fracas with uh, Zaha. He was warming up along the touchline, and he was actually going along the goal line when it happened. I think subs are allowed to warm up there, but it just reminded me, a couple of weeks ago, I saw a Bundesliga game where um, a player scored a goal, and one of the subs for the same team that scored was standing very close to the goalpost, and his foot was actually slightly over the line, to the point where I'm not even sure if that goal could have been disallowed, even though the player didn't interfere with anything. But it seems like <laughs> we're slowly creeping towards a possible incident slash talking point that's going to come up and be a bit of a problem at some point in the future. Should subs be in that area at all? Yeah, so- I mean, I've seen, I've seen, I mean, you see it all the time of them walking, uh, cutting across the corner flag too. And with VAR these days, like I, I would not be surprised that we see that sooner or later where you'll see um, a goal disallowed because someone was walking across from one outside of the corner flag to the other and they were on the pitch at the time. It's mm. I, I just don't see the need for it. The, the, the sidelines are big enough for people to warm up on nowadays. And yeah. I, I didn't see anything about that Bundesliga one, but that's hilarious as well. Um, could you imagine if they had turned that down and cut it out because some dude was on the pitch? Hell to pay. (laughs) It could could be mad, but it's the type of scenario that comes up once in a while. You get something that there's no precedent for, and then it's it's really hard to administer what to do, isn't it? But um, it just seems like there's a few things like that happening, and well, we'll see if anything transpires. But um, you heard it here first, if it does. (laughs) Um, (laughs) One final thing I wanted to talk to you about really before I let you go Josh um, it's a bit of a biggie we don't have to get into it in too much detail but there's of course the the ugly spectacle of the three letter word VAR or VAR um, I won't go into too much on it but just your overview on things I've heard obviously what you said on your podcast but the, for the benefit of my listeners if I have any there um, what's your opinion on VAR and the general state of play um, because there's, there's actually been a couple of things in the last day, um, Seferin, I think he's the away for head, isn't he now, um, has been speaking, I think, in the last 24 hours about um, ongoing debates about it. UEFA aren't happy with everything. They want to change the general remit for some, some stuff to do with the lines. They want to be, thicken the lines um, for the offside decisions, which I think would be a good thing. I'd be 100% in favour of that because I think it would limit down the that, that ambiguity with those uh, with the current situation they've got um there's also talk about making it more than a centimeter they're saying it's ridiculous that some club season could be ruined by um fractional offside decisions um they're also still debating the handball law which they or laws which they think are problematic i think was the word he used um so ongoing debates but um i wonder what your view was on that and then on the, the other stuff really how it's been done in the in the league over here, the use of monitors, all that sort of stuff. In a nutshell, <laughs> what's your take? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I hate the handball rule. Um, I think it's stupid, yeah. and I know I know that people are like desperate to blame VAR for that, but that's not VAR. That's that's the rule. Um, it's just the fact that they use VAR to look at it. Um, I don't like it at, at all. Uh, I think it's just 
there's just so many situations that we've already seen this this year where th- there's no complaints from either side and there's really nothing somebody whoever it is could do and the goals ruled out and there's just no need for it um i mean we almost saw it with glenn murray against west ham and i mean that was not a handball anyway but you know what i mean it's it's getting very close um and then in terms of var i think that i think it's just been utilized all wrong um i mean we had so many opportunities to get it right and we've just failed to get it right time and time again and i think the problem is is that that it's ultimately the exact same people we see on the pitch every week are sat behind the tv monitor as well um they, yeah. they've they've come into this with their biases and their feelings and their thoughts and their friendships and their you know their the the emotion that is supposed to be taken out of it um yeah. and absolutely that's spot on how can we yeah, how can we how can we expect anything different when that's that's the situation? I agree 100%. I think the ref standards have been particularly bad this year, um, and by that I mean obviously including VAR because, as you said, it's the same people making decisions. Um, interestingly, David Ellery, who of course one time ref, who's I think he's a president of something to do with the referees association or something. I don't know what he, what his role is, but he's got some sort of um, high up role. He's saying that he thinks that um, he doesn't like the fact they're in Stockley Park somewhere miles away in a, I can't remember the word he used, but basically an isolated, um, non-emotive position. He's not in touch with the game in the same way when he's uh, VARing there, whoever the ref may be in that case. Um, and there's a disconnect somewhere and that that needs to be changed. I think bringing in the monitors, is, I think there was some good feedback from the first three incidents where we, We've brought the monitors back in in recent weeks. Um, positive feedback from that. I think if they can use the monitors, get the refereeing standards better in general, and um, slow and sorry, speed up the decision making, and just make clearer the clear and obvious rule, and change those rules you've mentioned on handball and offside, then I think we've got something that can work. I was in favour it to start with. Um, not been impressed with it so far. I think were you the same? Were you in favour initially? Yeah, I mean, I was super in favour. There was yeah. a couple of times last year when certain goals were scored, like stole Bambas against us, you know, that should never have stood. And you think, well, VAR would have ruled that out. And now we're watching it and you watch it back and you think, well, maybe it wouldn't have because whoever's behind the monitor on the day doesn't fancy it. And that's mm-hmm. just insane. Um, you know, we've we've long felt that the referees protect referees. Um, we've seen it a whole bunch of times. The FA protects referees even when they've made horrible decisions um with like red and yellow cards that well especially red cards that should never have been given um and teams appeal it and you know i i think it was just last wasn't it us last year that had a sending off um i feel like we had somebody sent off that was just outrageous um Uh, i can't remember who it was now but I remember that I was listening to Talk Sport as I drove into work one morning and they were talking about it too. And they were saying that it was just the most absurd red card they'd seen all season. And they expected the FA to turn it off. And of course they didn't. They they kept it up because they protected the ref. And mm-hmm. like I said, we've got the same people in the in the background doing the same job. They're protecting the referee's decision, even this, if it's a bad one. Yeah, this protected the ref thing I just don't understand. I could sort of understand the instinct for doing it, but actually with, when you think it through logically, it makes more sense to not do that, to 
to just say, look, the ref got it wrong. They're human. They've, they've only got one perspective on the match, and it's all in fast motion. Uh, you know, they haven't got time to absorb things. The, the VAR can slow things down, give them a bit of thinking time, which may be not a bad thing, give them time to process what they've just seen. But ultimately, they've only got one view. They may not be great at the job in general. And why shouldn't somebody say, actually, that wasn't right? We have to overturn that decision, um, either VAR or retrospective bans or whatever it might be for players, a red card that was escaped, something like that, whatever it might be. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think it undermines the refs. I think it helps them. I don't personally, I've never asked a ref this. Um, I don't know any, but if if I did ask them, would you actually feel undermined by someone overturning your decision in the cold light of day, two days later in a FA office or, or wherever it is? I, I wouldn't myself, but I don't know. I'm not. I'm not convinced that they would either. But yeah, and I would. I would honestly go as far as to say that if they if they turn around and say yes, I would feel offended. Then they're probably not in the right job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because this is, you know, it's worth more than their own personal pride. This is when we're talking about hundreds of millions of pounds. Yeah. You and and you have the ability to get things right. Um, in terms of you know taking a look back on it, be it in the in the VAR booth or two two days later, you know yeah. you should be you should be doing all you can to to bring that parity in. And as of right now, we we can see that they're not. I just think that, like you said, the idea is great, and initially it should have been great. But everything that they could do wrong, they seem to have done wrong. And yeah. there's a lot of work needed to be done over Definitely. the next couple of uh, over the summer, especially to bring it in. Absolutely. I mean, we, we all appreciate it's going to take time to get things right. And I think people are generally patient with it up to a point. Um, but, you know, when you see decisions like that Bournemouth situation a couple of weeks ago with the disallowed goal, uh, and then sorry, uh, the goal which was then disallowed because they brought it back for a penalty, um, that happens on the final game of the season and costs someone their place in the Prem. That's a hell of a lot of money uh, to be losing. Yeah. On one bad decision, you can say things even out over the season. You could argue about other cases, but when it comes down to it, when it, whatever's happened has happened. You're in the last day of the season, and you have a bad decision like that. That costs you. I mean, even just a place in the table, it's about a million, isn't it? So yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, like two or thing. three spaces can be the difference of twelve odd million these days. <laughs> yeah, it does, of course, mean that that adds to the pressure for the referees to do their job. It's a lot harder for them because of they know their connotations. But yeah, I think work in progress, definitely. Well, maybe we'll chat about that more on another time. But um, I'm conscious that we've been chatting quite a long time here. Um, yep. you, might be <laughs> you might be listening to this as a two part of a two parter. I might have to split this one up. <laughs> but um, anyway, Josh, it's been fantastic having you on. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. We'd obviously be glad to have you back on. Would you come back on maybe some point this season? Yeah, and, of course. Um, we can maybe have a chat either somewhere in the run-up or even just as a post-season review. I understand you I might pop onto your show and do the same, you were saying. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, we could even do a – we could even just combine the whole lot and both post it for a yeah, post-season roundtable. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not bad, actually. Yeah, yeah. That would be fantastic. Great. OK, well, let's hope we're in happy times next time I chat to you on this uh, on this forum. On this Agreed. <laughs> yeah. And so in the meantime, thanks for coming on again. Uh, just quickly for listeners, a reminder that the Seagulls Over London event, um, we are sponsored by Seagulls Over London, and they have an event on the 25th of March, 25th of this month, at the Sir Christopher Hatton pub in Chancery Lane, exit two from the Tube, and just a couple of minutes walk away. Our guests are 
uh, none other than another podcast group. <laughs> We've got the Albion Raw guys on. Um, Alan Wares and A.D. Packham will be joining us for some chat and then the questions and the answers. So hope some of you can join us for that. In the meantime, thanks for listening, everybody. Stand or fall up the Albion. And thanks again to you, Josh. Thank you. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.